0: Welcome to episode number 12 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. That's R-A-N-D-U-M-B Thoughts, and you can get us anywhere you get podcasts, the Apple or Android podcast listings, or you go directly to our website at randomthoughts.com, where you can subscribe or download the latest episode. We do appreciate it. I'm your host, Darren O'Neill. On today's show, we're talking about philography which is really a fancy way to say autograph collecting, autograph hunting, and, uh, and that hobby in itself. I've been collecting autographs since I was seven years old and start going to watch the Chicago White Sox play. That's where my autograph collecting history begins. I'm thinking about this for today's show, and this came up because it was 33 years ago this week that the great Tom Seaver won his 300th Major League Baseball game while pitching for the Chicago White Sox. My parents are big fans. My mom is a huge Tom Seaver fan. So wherever he was going to be winning that game 300, and for everybody, we're happy he did it on the first try, but wherever he was going for win 300, it was pretty much determined that we were going to go. It happened to be at Yankee Stadium in New York City, so we went, saw the game. It's a piece of history, a game that I'll never forget. I was thinking about Tom Seaver because of that, and he also is on my list of guys that have really been an interesting part of the autograph collecting process. Some have been good, some have been bad. Overall, pretty good, though. You know, again, I started this at age seven and mainly with the White Sox, and it's kind of moved from there with other teams going for players that I like. Occasionally, a musician or two are, are thrown into the mix and and one basketball player. I've gotten one basketball player in my life, and we'll be talking about that a little bit later on. But anyway. Starting with the White Sox, it was pretty easy. They were a fairly easy team to get autographs from. The 1977 season was the first season that I had started going to the games with my dad. And we had a baseball that was pretty much filled with everybody from Bob Lemon, the manager of the White Sox, through most of the team. Harry Carey, the broadcasters, Jimmy Pearsall on the ball. One guy that was missing, though, up until just recently is current White Sox announcer Steve Stone. For some reason back in the 70s, Steve wasn't an easy guy to get. I was able to get that ball, brought it to a signing at the ballpark, and after he overlooked the ball and realized that, yeah, he was probably the only name missing, we added the Steve Stone autograph to the 1977 ball, and this was a couple of years ago, so probably 2015 or so, 2014 or 15, we finally got that 1977 ball completed. But that is part of the fun, getting something, building a collection, getting the players that you like, either whether it's a full team on a ball or whether you're trying to get one of each player from a full team, whatever it is. Now, most players, like I said, they go either way. They're either a really easy autograph or a really hard autograph. My favorite Steve Stone memory, though, as far as getting autographs go, go to another day at the ballpark a few years ago where it was a kids only autograph session and there was nobody really waiting for him, maybe just two or three kids because, you know, it was Steve Stone. They all wanted the current players. So my wife goes to get an autograph and Steve kind of looked at her and he's, you know, this is kids only And (laughs) and he kind of admonished her and yelled at her a little bit, but he signed the autograph, which was nice. And then he was with another one of the bullpen pitchers. I don't even remember who it was, but my wife went to get his autograph and Steve then really admonished her because uh, I guess she didn't qualify to be part of that autograph goodness. And that was kind of funny for me. My wife didn't really care, but it's a great story to tell that cantankerous Steve Stone yelled at her for getting an autograph during kids' days. The White Sox are now begging fans to come ask for autographs because their team sucks. But that is another story entirely. So there've been easy signatures. There've been hard signatures. Now let's start with the easiest signature because it's probably the one that would surprise most White Sox fans because I've heard stories my whole life about Carlton Fisk and what a rough autograph he was. You hear it all the time. People, there was a story when I was growing up. And of course, it was somebody that interrupted him while having dinner and he wasn't polite to them. It's like, hey, he's having dinner. Don't be a dick. That's rule number one of autograph collecting, I think. As the person looking to get something signed, don't be a dick. It's really a good rule. It served me really, really well. But you hear these stories that Carlton Fisk was just an absolutely impossible autograph to get. Which is sad because he has one of the most beautiful signatures in the history of baseball or anything else. Google it, I'm sure it's up there if not, I'll put a, uh, I'll put a photograph of a Carlton Fisk autograph in the in the show notes, because it's one of the most beautiful signatures I have ever seen. It is elaborate, where most players, especially nowadays, do a basic scribble that can be done in about two seconds. Carlton Fisk's autograph is a work of art. You can read every letter. It's regal. It's flowing. It's amazing. So getting a Carlton Fisk autograph was never a quick thing, but I don't remember ever having a problem getting his autograph. One thing that everybody knew about Fisk when he was with the White Sox, if, if you don't know the story, he left the Red Sox back in the 80s. Because they thought he was done. They thought he was too old. He was a catcher. He was too old. He was done. They let him go. He came to the White Sox and played more years for the White Sox than he did for the Red Sox. So he was far from done. But to achieve that, he worked hard and he always stayed after the games for at least a couple of hours. You know, 90 minutes, two hours working out. That was part of his routine. So rather than inconvenience... The parking lot guys, because the White Sox had a small parking lot at Comiskey Park back in the day where the players would park behind a fence. So, you know, fans like me couldn't bother them. Fisk didn't want to inconvenience the guys that ran that parking lot. So he would just park across the street in the normal lot. So there were more than a few nights that my dad and I would wait after the game. And again, autographing patience is a big part of autograph collecting, as, as well as not being a dick. The nights that we would wait for Fisk after the game, when he would come out, he would always graciously sign an autograph. Never had a problem at all. I don't remember ever waiting and not getting an autograph because that would have just really sucked. And then you would never do it again because there's a time investment involved when you're waiting for the guy a couple hours after the game. Not only that, I remember going to see the White Sox on a road trip to Detroit. It was getaway day, so the players were coming down with their luggage on their way to the bus to go to the ballpark and then go wherever they were going after that. Well, I was wearing my Carlton Fisk jersey, and I had a card or a baseball, whatever I was trying to get signed at that point. As he came down, went to the checkout desk, asked him for an autograph, and he just said, you know, follow me to the bus. So I followed him out to the bus, which was probably a hundred yards. I mean, it was through the lobby, out the front door, and it wasn't parked exactly in front of the hotel. So I followed him over to the bus. He signed the Carter baseball or whatever it was. I was more than happy with that. That's all I was asking for. But the great Carlton Fisk then asked me, "Do you want me to sign the jersey too?" I mean, that blew my mind. But uh, that was the way that Carlton Fisk was. When I asked him for autographs. I mean, everybody has their own experience. For me, he was a very kind, gracious guy, signed the jersey, and I was wearing the jersey, so I turned around, and it felt like a year for him to sign it. Again, because Carlton Fisk does not sign anything quickly. And he signed the jersey, I thanked him, and and he was on his way. The only time I ever had a problem getting autographs was in that 1985 trip. And I didn't have a problem getting Fisk's autograph in that 1985 trip to New York for Tom Seaver's 300th win. But I I did have one of the bellhop or the doorman who obviously didn't think I belonged in the hotel, even though my parents and I were staying at the hotel. I was 15. We had just gotten there. I didn't know what room we were in. My parents went to upstairs to check in. I wanted to go, you know, be downstairs getting autographs. So I got an autograph from Fisk, and then the doorman comes and tells me I have to leave. I tell him I'm staying there. They ask me what room I'm in. I don't know. So basically, the doorman kicks me out, and this goes on for a few minutes until I finally uh, get back inside, because you didn't have cell phones at the time. You You couldn't just call up mom and dad and go, hey, asshole doorman won't let me in the hotel we're staying at. I'm in outside New York City, baby, the safest city in the world. I mean, to be fair, even at 15, I was over six foot and I didn't really need any help having any protection. But, you know, still, this was not a fun point. And this was about one of the probably two or three times in my life that I could remember my dad losing his shit. He went after this doorbell and like, like it was nobody's business. I mean, if you've seen, if you're a baseball fan, You've seen those arguments where a guy like, you know, Billy Martin or Lou Piniella would go, you know, face to face with an umpire and just be screaming in their face. That's what happened here. The doorman was sorry that uh, that he kicked me out of the hotel that I was staying at. But that was the biggest problem getting autographed at the time. Well, you know, getting Tom Seaver's autograph, that was that's another story. But Carlton Fisk, one of the most gracious people ever for me getting autographs and I appreciate that beyond anything that I can say because he is one of the greatest players that I have ever seen play the game of baseball so it's nice to be able to have that kind of interaction and have that you know feel good you get that warm fuzzy feeling when a guy like that you know treats the fans well again everybody has their own experience and it seems a lot of people had some bad experiences with Fisk Something that never happened to me. Unlike Ron Kittle, 1983 White Sox Rookie of the Year, who once told us that he didn't sign in Cleveland. That may have been true. It was just Kittle being Kittle. He's a little bit on the kookier side, but now I would rate him as probably one of the most friendly ex-White Sox players ever. He still lives in the area here, and if I have anything with Ron Kittle's likeness on it at this point that isn't autographed, I would be surprised. We ran out of stuff. That's how much Ron Kittle signs. Sat next to him on an airplane once going down to spring training and heard stories for a couple of hours that, uh, that could fill a few podcasts, but this is about autograph hunting, so we'll leave those for another time. So Carlton Fisk. Probably the easiest autograph, the best autographer as far as big time players could go. Kittle became the guy that was really easy to get, really nice guy. But again, there's a few things I learned. Don't be a dick. I learned this very early on in my autograph hunting. The White Sox, the way it used to be at Sox Park at beautiful Comiskey Park before it was torn down, the visiting team's bus actually parked directly on the street. And the players had to exit the building and cross a public sidewalk to get into the bus. Sure, there were security guards standing there, but it was a great place to try and get autographs because every player had to, after the game, walk from the building into the bus. And this is where you really start learning that you have to have something that's differentiating you from everybody else trying to get an autograph. I remember distinctly Wade Boggs. Probably people would tell you the story again that he was a very hard signature at the time because he would normally go from the building to the bus and sign one or two autographs maximum. He always signed for me. And I think the main difference was a lot of the kids my age at that time, you know, all in that early teens or whatnot, looking for to get the autographs would be yelling, Wade or Boggs. I always made it clear to give a Mr. Boggs, and that seemed to work. Show some respect, kids. It really does go a long way. At least it seemed to work for Wade Boggs, one of the greatest hitters of all time, showing a little respect. I'm not sure if that's why I had the success with that or not, but it certainly seemed to be the case. Now, as far as the toughest signature for me to get, that I ended up actually getting would be Tom Seaver. There's no doubt about it. I chased Tom Seaver with a viciousness that the stories are amazing when you think back about it at this point. Because we had gone on a few different road trips. And usually if you're in the hotel, that's a good place to get autographs. The players are you know, a little bit lower key. There's not a big crowd of fans there. So usually you had pretty good success with most guys. Seaver was at the point in his career where he just didn't want to sign for anybody. And I can understand that and I can respect that, but it didn't mean I was going to stop trying. I remember on an evening in, I believe it was Cleveland, where my cousin and I, my parents were already in the room, probably asleep, but we were waiting for the guys to come back from whatever bar they were out at. And it was a pretty late evening for a lot of them. And I can tell you, the last guy that came rolling in was Tom Terrific. And it was probably 12, 1230. He comes rolling in and my cousin and I ask him for an autograph. He says, no, he walks to the elevators. So we're thinking, you know, hey, this is the last guy. We're going up to the room anyway. So we go over to the elevators as well. There was a large group of I believe it was teachers, if I remember correctly, that were there for a convention. Obviously they would, had just been out on the town or whatnot. And they were going down to a conference room or something like that. I don't know why at that time. But I remember there was this large group that was going down well, we were going up to the room, and you know, Tom was going up to his room. Well, the elevator got there to go down, and rather than get in the elevator with my cousin and I to go up to the rooms, and might have been awkward for him, he got in the other elevator with a really big crowd of teachers at the education convention to go down. I eventually got Tom Seaver. It was in Milwaukee, and I had two things with me. I had a copy of his book on pitching and I had the ticket stub from his 300th win. He stopped. He signed. I remember saying things to him. He just kind of like groaned, signed the autographs, and went on his way. But I'm happy to get those autographs. They're beautiful autographs, almost up there with Carlton Fisk quality, and I was definitely happy to get them, but he wasn't happy to sign. And I get that as Somebody that's constantly bothered and asked for autographs, I can get that would be really horrible. And I do empathize with that, but I really wanted that 300-game ticket stub signed, and I have that, and it's something that I will treasure for the rest of my years. At least, we hope there are years. But Tom Seaver, he was one of the hardest ones that I actually got, and it, it felt like you accomplished something when you got Tom Seaver's autograph. Now I buy his wine a few bottles a year for my mom, and you know no hard feelings. I like the guy, and he makes a really good wine. If you're looking for a gift for somebody who would normally not spend big bucks on a bottle of wine, it's very limited stuff. A hundred and something bucks a bottle. Look up Seaver Vineyards, some really really good wine. The hardest signature that I chased for the longest time and never got was Ken Griffey Jr. I don't know why but we didn't ever run into him much when he was with Seattle. It was mainly when he was with the Reds in spring training is when we have, we saw most of the time. And there were a lot of times in Sarasota that nobody else was around, but junior just wasn't going to sign. And again, sometimes there's these professional autograph hunters. So I'm not going to, say this was a horrible thing that he didn't sign for the kid, but the one day there was a kid there with a Ken Griffey stand-up. You've seen these things, the big cardboard things that are life size, sometimes bigger. They're a pain in the ass to carry around. There was a kid there with a Ken Griffey Jr. cutout. There was literally maybe three people there looking for autographs. Griffey blew everybody off and just went right past them. Never did get a Ken Griffey Jr., uh, which I guess, you know, if I'm going to pick Getting Fisk and Seaver or Junior, you know what? I'm going Seaver and Fisk anyway. Always remember if you're looking for a specific autograph, there are things you can do to try to maximize your chances of getting that player or whomever you're looking for to sign your autograph, besides just not being a dick. But that's always number one don't be a dick. There's something I learned with the Japanese players. And this was when I was looking to get Hideki Matsui first, one of the first big Japanese players, uh, Yankee, was always hard to get Yankee autographs to begin with. And then we used the same thing on uh, Hideki Matsui when he came in for the Red Sox and we got them both of these in spring training. The thing that I learned was learn a couple words of Japanese. If you're going for Japanese players, this makes a huge difference, cannot Overemphasize this enough. The term in Japanese for please is onagai. Use it. It's something that uh, got Hideki. It gets the player's attention. Now, when I got Hideki Matsui, when I got Dice K, they were signing for a bunch of other people. So I may have gotten it anyway, but. It seemed to work because they weren't signing for everybody. They were going quickly down the line. So maybe I just got lucky with those two. That's very, very, very possible. But there was a time at Sox Park where Nori Aoki, not quite the level of player as his Adeki Matsui or Daisuke Matsuzaka, but still a pretty good player in his own right. Nori Aoki was coming in from batting practice. He had his head down. He had passed about... 15 other people who were asking for autographs, didn't acknowledge anything. He got two steps down into the dugout, right where I was standing, right on the side of the dugout there. I said, Neori, Onagai, stopped him literally in his tracks. It was, at that point, for sure the only reason he had stopped. He looked up, took the baseball, signed it, and then, of course, you respond back with, Domo Arigato, thank you very much. It goes a long way, whether you're looking for the Latino players, learn a little bit of Spanish. If you're looking for the Japanese players, it goes a long way. I used, you know, he was uh, Shingo Takatsu, closer for the White Sox in their World Series year, at least, well, at the start of the year, but then he wasn't at the end. But still, he was there signing autographs one day on the concourse, and he was signing for everybody, and it was fine, he was going through, he was signing his autographs for everybody. Just pulling out those couple of words after he signed, you know, the Domo arigato lit his face up. It's, it shows respect. And this is, if you're looking for an autograph, I mean, showing respect is probably a really good thing. You know, Hey, if, if, if you're nice about it, everybody wins when it comes down to the fact that, you know, they get to sign, you feel good. Everybody goes on their merry way. I've never gotten Shingo Takatsu or uh, I'm not, sorry. I've never gotten Ichiro Suzuki, but my wife did. She knew the same tricks that I was using. But she had an unfair advantage because she made friends at the front of the dugout with a Japanese couple that were there. So she had the whole language barrier thing just down down completely, and they helped her to, uh, to get the autograph. But so it's great. I've got, in our collection at least, the, uh, the Ichiro Suzuki autograph. So over the years, I've gotten a, a decent amount of what I would say, you know, the good autographs. These are the guys that you were really going for that weren't easy to get. Whether it be the Hideki Matsui's or the Daisuke Matsuzakas, the uh, you know Carlton Fisk, finally the Tom Seaver, the one basketball player I got was this guy. He played for the uh, the Bulls for a while. His name was Michael uh, Jeffrey Jordan. You may have heard from uh, you may have heard of his exploits at one point or another. I was able to get him, and he's a guy that almost never signed, just due to the fact of the insanity that actually goes on. When he was signing autographs, a crowd would uh, basically a mosh pit and a half would uh, assemble the minute he would start signing autographs. But when he was trying his baseball experiment, we were down in spring training and we were able to uh, both my wife and I and I believe my parents were all able to get Michael Jordan's signature on a baseball, which was a uh, which was a pretty cool thing. And recently there was a special on. Television here on our local sports channel about Michael Jordan, and they actually had a video clip of Michael Jordan trying out his whole uh, baseball thing, and there was a clip of him signing autographs. And uh, we made the shot, so we'll live forever in that clip of Michael Jordan and his uh, and his baseball experience. So that was probably the most insane crowd, although it was very close with the uh, the K Matsuzaka as far as people just pounding in, you know, trying to climb over your back and, uh, and just push their way through. Those were probably the most crazy times with autographs, which is why a lot of these guys don't like to sign when a crowd like that forms, because they're worried, especially with kids, it can get dangerous. One of the guys that handled this the best was Kirk Gibson, famous, famous guy. You've seen his shot in the uh, World Series. You've seen, uh, he was a manager. He's Kirk Gibson, big guy. He was the only guy who ever saw who could pull this off in spring training. I'd never seen this happen in during the regular season, but in spring training, there'd be a large group of people and they would start just kind of gathering around him and starting and pushing and Gibson would be like single file, single file, or I'm not signing. And people, they stood in line. They were, they were polite and everything worked out for everybody. So Kirk knew how to, uh, he knew how to work the crowd. Michael Jordan, a little bit more low-key, didn't want to yell at the crowd as much. I was able to get a president in in person. That would be George W. Bush, which I thought that was kind of a cool thing as well, at a bookstore. A very friendly, nice guy. This was the point, uh, in, in baseball history anyway, where it was... Uh, Seemingly, that Bud Selig was going to be going away, and he didn't go away soon enough, if you ask me. But uh, that's another story entirely. Uh, I asked him if he, you know, if he thought about taking the job of being the commissioner of baseball. And and W. Bush looked at me and he kind of laughed. He's like, "What would I want that kind of hassle for?" <laughs> he had a good point. Baseball's in a little bit of trouble. Uh, I wouldn't want that job right now either. But I was able to get that signature on his book. Again, a really nice. Friendly guy. Uh, one of the other stories that stands out in my mind, involves the late great Roy Halliday, one of the best pitchers I've ever had the pleasure of watch pitch. He was playing in a game Well, he was supposed to play in a game in Sarasota. I think this was against the Orioles at the time. maybe it was against the Reds. I think it was the Orioles. Regardless, Halliday was set to pitch. The game got rained out. And we're sitting there waiting. A lone figure comes out of the dugout and starts signing autographs. And it's Roy. Nobody else on the field. The, this you know guy that would have been a Hall of Fame or probably still is going to be a Hall of Fame pitcher now, just came out and starts signing autographs. He didn't have to do that. In the rain, signed autographs for everybody that wanted to Talked to everybody that wanted to say hi, get a picture, whatever. And that stuck with me because a lot of guys, again, you talk about the Tom Seaver story, and I know Seaver had been around a few more years than Halliday had been at that point. But, you know, you get tired of this. I'm sure, you know, there's, there's only so much time you have. And this was a day where he should have been pitching. The game got rained out. And what does he do? He came out and signed for everybody that wanted it. That's not an exaggeration. And that said a lot to me about the guy that Roy Halliday was. And it's always nice, again, when you see somebody like that who you look up to on a professional level as far as what they can do on the field, it's really cool when you can put those guys into the category of being overall good guys off the field as well. Uh, I was able to get Dale Earnhardt at a charity event and able to shake his hand, and that meant more to me, I think, than the autograph. Truly my favorite uh, NASCAR driver of all time, favorite race car driver of all time. And as we've talked about on the podcast, watching the sport after his passing has just never quite been the same for me. I remember getting, well, my dad getting a Frank Thomas autograph back when his first spring training when he came up. And it's one, again, I should find and take a picture of because the autograph has changed throughout the years. Where Frank is now the guy, and I understand because he signs a lot of autographs and bless him for that, and thank him for that, because he's a very, very fan-friendly guy. But now the signature is a lot quicker and nondescript, where that original signature, you can read the letters in his name. It's an amazing thing to watch what happens, how sometimes these early signatures then turn into a scribble. But when it's first starting, and it's new, and it's fun when people are asking you for the autographs, and he's another guy. Doesn't have to be as humble and polite and, and just uh, overall a good guy as he is for the, the stature that he was one of the best baseball players ever. But I remember my dad getting the autograph and telling him, you know, Hey, you know, I've read up, you know, read about you. You're going to be, you know, you're going to be big or you're going to be good, whatever it was. And, and Frank Thomas was like, you know, thank you. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. You know, it's like, he was just a very polite, humble kid turned into a monster. And we got a chance to get his autograph recently, at a uh, at a local restaurant here that ran a promotion, and still the nicest, sweetest guy, and he could still just if you've ever seen Big Frank, and I'm you know six foot six, and you know I look small next to Frank. I swear he could probably just bend you over and break you in half. But uh, I guess you can be polite when you have that kind of power behind you. Uh, one of the one of the best lines that I ever used was Johnny Damon in the heyday of the uh, of the Red Sox. Or uh, Maybe it was with the Yankees at the time. Maybe it was the Yankees. Either way, this was in sp- spring training. He was making a beeline out of the place, not signing any autographs, uh, maybe one or two on the line of like 100 people that were trying to get him. And I yelled, hey, Johnny, would you sign an autograph for an A.J. Brzezinski fan? And he looked at me and he laughed and he took the ball. And he, as he was signing it, he's like, I didn't know A.J. actually had fans. Know something about the player. AJ and Johnny Damon go way back. They were good friends. If you're you're really looking for a guy that you're really trying to get an autograph from, find out something about him. Figure out something you can say that's polite. Don't be a dick. Again, that's rule number one. Figure out something that you can say that will get their attention, that will get them to stop, and uh, your chances go way, way up. I think the thing that finally stopped Tom Seaver was the fact that I had his book you know, hey, this was a product you put out. I purchased it. That was more than just asking for an autograph. So maybe he figured he had the book. And of course, I had the ticket stub in the book because I'm no idiot. Congratulate him on his 300th And Even though he didn't say anything, I'm pretty sure he was happy I asked him for that autograph. Uh, and I appreciate it. If you're out there, George Thomas Seaver, I appreciate that autograph. I will always treasure that autograph as we will treasure the great wine you're making out there in your vineyards in California now. And he's just as good a winemaker as he is a pitcher. So definitely check that wine out. Now, thanks for listening to another fun and exciting episode of the Random Thoughts Podcast. If you want to help us out at the show here, go and give us a five-star rating at the iTunes or Android podcast listings. That really helps. If you want to get in touch with us, feel free to do that at Random Thoughts Podcast. Again, that's R-A-N-D-U-M-B, Thoughts Podcast, at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Darren O'Neill. That's D-A-R-R-E-N-O-N-E-I-L-L. Tell me about your autograph hunting stories. Have they been good? Have they been bad? What's the best experience you've had? What's the worst? And until next time, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening.